Welcome to Love Canberra, a show about love, sex, and relationships here in the heart of the nation. I'm Ivana Ho. My friend Gabby's place to have dinner with her and her husband Con. Oh, it smells delicious. Oh, I hope it is. You've, yeah. You've made Hi, Hello. Good. How are you, Con? Very fine. When we'd last seen each other, Gabby had briefly told me about her and Con's real life love story. It involved young love, family conflict, a nine year separation, and a dramatic reunion. I was there to hear the details. But first, Con leaned in and kissed me on one cheek in greeting. Good to see you again. Oh, sorry. And then the other cheek. It's a Greek thing. <laughs> this greeting would turn out to be emblematic of our conversation, which would touch at various points on cultural similarity and difference. Gabby's Uruguayan and Con is Greek. And this difference has had a big impact on their lives. Gabby explained to me the nuances of the cheek kiss. Our kids normally will wait for a cue from mm -hmm. whoever because in the Greek community you will kiss you know, on both sides and then the Latin American community you kiss on one side and a lot of the Anglo-Saxon friends they don't kiss at all, mm. you know, they're expected to shake hands and because... So you know, there's a pregnant pause of the... Yeah, so uh, they tend to wait to see what you're expecting and then they'll, you know, mm. it's really interesting yeah. that stuff, it's all cultural of course. Of yeah. course. But anyway, let me take your bag. Oh, and, thank you. And so After some discussion about food and food mixes, we began to gather at the dinner table. I don't mind. The banter of an old couple. What do you want? Better what? Cheers. Welcome. Oh, cheers. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to our house. As we dug into the first course of soup, Gabby kicked off the story. Con and I met in Kayama. My family, as new migrants do, we um, used to go camping a lot. I suppose it's a cheap holiday. And, uh, and we were fairly new in Australia. I, ooh, um, okay, so my family used to go camping with a whole group of other families. And we were in Kayama. And we would stay for weeks at a time, you know, and uh, for, you know, entire sort of school holidays virtually. Day after day we'd be at the beach with my girlfriend and brothers and sisters and all the, ex the, the, the friends we holidayed with. And then one day Con walks up with another guy and says hello. Just like that. Just like that. And basically he and his family had holidayed in Kayama at that stage for years and years and years since he was a little boy. Anyway, so he walked up to my girlfriend and I, 
he was with another, you know, 18 year old. And uh, my girlfriend and I were 17 and, uh, and said hello. And we started talking and um, he was very full of himself and very arrogant at the time. Hello. Hello. We were interrupted by Alex, Gabby and Con's eldest son. I commented on how nicely dressed he was. He's taking out his, his girlfriend, so mm-hmm. uh, they're going out to a bar later on. He's a bit of a coquette, is my oldest son. <laughs> yeah, he likes it. He's, he, he likes getting dressed up. And, I think you, you should continue the story. Con proceeded to tell me his side of the story, that Gabby had just begun. In fact, how did I come to walk on that beach and come and say hello is an interesting thing. Uh, we were renting at that stage, weren't we? And uh, I had just finished my first year at uh, Duntroom at the Royal Military College. And I had failed two of the four subjects in my first year at university, which from what I gather is not unusual, although it is at, at Duntroom. And they'd offered me to go to Portsea, which was the other officer, institu- officer producing institution. One, you went to university, which was done true, and the other one, you didn't go to university. And then, because I apparently had done reasonably well, they offered me the opportunity not to finish the degree, but to go down to Portsea in, in Victoria, finish the military course, and then graduate as a second lieutenant officer. So I was faced with this dilemma. And it was a glorious day, and I was just apparently moping around the house and uh, my father had been down the beach and he'd noticed these two um, <laughs> girls on the beach. Anyway, he came up and he was quite, he, he was concerned but also annoyed with me that I was wasting, you know, this time. A good old holiday. You know, uh, yeah, wasting this time. And he, and he asked me why I was moping around the house. And basically I explained. And he simply looked at me up and down, which is one of those pivotal times in any young man's life. And he said, well... Why did you fail these two subjects? And I explained that it probably was a combination of being lazy and the technical ability to write exams. Because in Canberra in those days, when you went to year 11 and 12, we didn't actually sit exams. So all my peers at Duntroon had gone through a version of the HSC. So they were quite adept at... um, Taking exams? Yeah, studying and actually the technique of exam, which we did not. So my first three-hour exam was at Duntroom, to which he asked me whether I was capable of finishing a degree and was I smart enough to finish a degree? And I said, yes, I think I am. And he looked me up and down and he, he said, well, why don't you be a man and finish what you started rather than taking the easy way out? And by the way, I noticed a couple of Spanish girls down the beach. Why don't you get off your ass and and go to the beach and say hello. So I did. So it was your father who was a matchmaker. Yeah, in, in an odd, yeah, in a, in, a, in, a, in, in a funny sort of a way. Yeah, yeah. So we struck up a conversation and then... It was an interesting conversation because I had just finished my HSC. He had done, obviously, a year at Duntroon. And we're both the eldest of our families. And we were both, um, you know, relatively kind of... Um, 
high achievers, you know, because, you know, to get into Duntron it was a big deal and, and I had been... And, and he said to me that, you know, he'd been a school captain. I said, oh, well, so have I. You know, so was I. Well, I think that discussion went the other way around. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, you, you were still a school all, captain. Yeah. Anyway, and we found we were kindred spirits. It was interesting, even though we came mm. from completely different backgrounds, we both had similar experiences of, the, of being the eldest in a, in a, in a migrant family with all the responsibility that that entailed. We had the enormous weight of looking after our siblings when our parents went to work. And, um, you know, that whole experience that young migrant kids have of, you know, translating for their parents when, when their parents' English is not up to scratch. And, you know... Beyond uh, the love at first sight. Yeah, no, we found that we had, there was a lot of commonality there, even though we came from quite different backgrounds. And, um, and obviously there, there, there was a, an attraction there, you know. I mean, he was pouncing around in his Speedos. <laughs> so it was that the boy in the Speedos courted young Gabby, with all of their siblings in tow, because as the eldest children... They were, of course, responsible for them. It turned into a big group and, and it became a large group of kids that ended up being about 10. And we still see these people. But whilst that group dynamic was going on, it was interesting because it was this a meeting of two egos. But we uh, fell uh, in love. No, absolutely. Yeah, well, we I asked you, we, we, decided, we decided that we would get mm-hmm. married three days later. And it didn't last for long, the holiday, because, you know, we each had to go our separate ways. I lived in Sydney, he lived in Canberra. And but you forget. Mm-hmm. We left. And then I almost dragged the family... Well, we did. We Then we came back. Wait, so how, how long after meeting Gabby did you leave? Yeah, so I reckon, I reckon about a week after we left as a family and Gabby's family was still there. And I, again, was moping around the house and this, that and whatever. And then we as a family decided to come back. <laughs> so my parents rented a, a, another house and we all came back. And, uh, and extended your holiday. And extended the holiday. And by that stage, uh, we were quite convinced that this was it. And so the roller coaster begins. And then, yeah, and so, and, and then after that, of course, I then was starting a, uh, a, a, my second year at, at Duntroon, and Gabby went back to, uh, to, to start university. And um, that, that complete, well, that, that initiated the, the three years that we were together up until my graduation. So, yeah. At that point, the youngest son, who had been upstairs, made his way to the kitchen a few feet from where we were sitting. Not long after, Gabby would get up to help him to put together a plate of food. So this is Lucas. Hello, good to meet you. you. He'll make an appearance again later. But in the meantime... I went back to Duntru Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, announced to the world that I was in love with a South American belle. (laughs) Mm. But um, day three, after meeting Gabby... The two of you had already decided that you would get married? Yeah, so the way that we would uh, continue this, so as you can imagine, we were children of migrants. So this, um, this initial phase, well, in fact, throughout our 
courting in, in the first three years was very much old-fashioned. Um, I wanted to impress her so much that our first date was taking our, taking our siblings to a, uh, a fun park and uh, I wore a singlet to prove that I was a good boy. You know, I was, I was a, a, a nice fellow, not this just bloke walking around in budgie smuggles. You mean you wore a singlet underneath? Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, underneath a, a shirt. Yeah, not, not that I was walking around showing off my, my, yes. my muscles. Yeah. So it was, it was serious to prove that I, it was, you know, that I was, I was a genuine, I was genuine and that I would, you know, I was, uh, this was a serious thing. Which was so. The only time that we really had to ourselves, thank you, was um, going for a walk along the beach that then had a headland, and we'd go out on the on the rocks. And by the third day, yeah, and on and on the yes, that's right, because otherwise we'd be surrounded by ten year old brothers and and you know fourteen year old sisters and all that sort of stuff. And that's when we uh, decided that. we we would get married, you know. Did one of you so-called propose to the other? Well, I or? think I think we no, we're, we're not like that. And even <laughs> even when we ultimately did propose to each other, it was sort of a, a a coming of the minds. But I don't know. I was a young, arrogant year old, so I probably announced that this is what we were doing. Was that how it went? I can't remember. But anyway, subsequently, when we each went back to to our own cities. It was a, a it was very much a long distance relationship at a time when there was no internet, when there was no mobile phones, i.e. You no know, texting or, or messaging or anything like that. And so we used to write letters, mm. you know, which I've I've still kept, you know. And we did spend a lot of money on twenty cent pieces on the phone. And then obviously phone calls, you know. But my father, who was very strict, I'm the eldest too. Remember. Um, my father comes from a generation in Latin America of people who actually literally courted chaperoned, you know, so there was none of this living together or anything like that right, oh. back then. And so when um, we wanted to speak to one another, in the, in the house in, we had the, the landline, the one phone, it used to be on the wall in the kitchen and my dad would sit underneath it. Mm. Would you pass me the salad, please? Mm. And, and so then, move. Yeah. And so you couldn't really have a private conversation. And phone calls back then were actually expensive. So I wasn't encouraged to ring, you know. And, and so in the end, I'd collect the 20 cent pieces and go to the public phone booth. And so we'd have, you know, conversations. But... Duntroom was pretty restrictive. He was quite busy and... Oh, thank you. So we didn't speak every day or anything like that. And I relied heavily on him visiting me because I wasn't allowed to come to Canberra to visit because good girls don't do that sort of thing. Hmm. So the only times they ever came to Canberra was when Duntroon had their, you know, their Queen's birthday parade and ball in June and then the graduation parade and ball in December. So it'd be only about twice a year that I'd be allowed to come to Canberra. And then I would stay at his parents' house and, you know, and we'd be chaperoned still. And, you know, so there was a lot of that, what's proper and propriety. And and, um, in my family, 
wanted me to be seen to be good as not only being good but to mm. be seen to be good and there was a whole a lot of stuff about absolutely mm. which is pretty ridiculous when you think about it now but yeah, but it but actually shaped our relationship because it meant you know we were restricted on all sorts of levels you know and then when he did come to visit me in sydney my father would not let him sleep under the same roof as me so he would well have to find another place to to stay or um, because he was so cheap, he didn't want to spend the money, he would um, bring his little tent, you know, a military tent, and set it up in our backyard. <laughs> and sleep outside with the dog. Mm-hmm. Mm. Because I was serious, to prove that I was serious, it was actually meeting the expectations of propriety uh, of my parents in law. I mean, Con was very culturally sensitive to what my parents, and um, partly because he comes from a similar background. Mm. I don't think it would have worked if he hadn't been, you know. Mm. Well, when we say things in common, obviously with Gabby's um, artistic background, it's quite interesting that people who know Gabby in the art world find it odd that she's married to a military person, let alone within her community at that time, in the early 80s. Um, we had the, all fled military dictators. Yeah, and, and Gabby was very much involved in the... In the Solidarity uh, movement. That's right. And she was, in fact, the starlet of the community. Because mm. I used to sing and play guitar and mm. I used to be very active. And so what happened was, you know, the military were not our favourite people. And so it was a very, very... It was awkward, all mm. that stuff. So mm. how did you reconcile that, your views and with Con being in the Australian Army? Well, back then we agreed to disagree about a whole lot of things because we were both very immature. There was not a lot of compromising. I was very uh, fire and brimstone, sort of left-wing, you know, I'd go on marches and peace movements and things like that. And I. But I, I could reconcile it because our military is nothing like that. Mm-hmm. But I could reconcile it. Mm-hmm. The community, though, found it odd. And on a number of occasions, I was refused service at, say, the Uruguayan Club or because I was a, a military person. Mm-hmm. And I think also, you know, the queen of, of uh, Sydney, Euro- the community, the, was sort of being taken away by a foreigner as well, I would argue. Mm-hmm. What was happening at the same time was that Con's parents, as our relationship grew more serious, they weren't impressed either. No. They actually wanted Con to marry a Greek girl. They, as time progressed, became more and more hostile towards the idea of, of, our, you know, of our relationship. Con's parents tried to absorb what little time he had off to keep him from visiting Gabby. Things like arranging dinners with his godfather that he couldn't get out of. Gabby couldn't travel to visit him because, among other reasons, she didn't have a car or the financial means to get to Sydney. This all became an issue because they were barely seeing each other. And then... As time progressed, it got more and more difficult. When he graduated, there was a bit of a conflictive situation with his mum. And Con, as a good Greek son, kind of allowed her to dominate him. 
And I took that as a really bad sign. And then when he graduated, they were offering him a posting in Townsville and a posting in Sydney. And he was fighting really hard to get the posting in Sydney, obviously, to be near me. But I got the distinct impression that if he'd got the posting in Townsville, that he wasn't going to invite me to join him. And I wasn't after marriage per se. I actually, marriage was not that important to me, but um, I felt that he was too young. He felt there was a lot of fish in the sea still and that. And so I basically pulled the plug. I said, look, I, you know, I just don't want to continue with this relationship where I'm not the priority. And, um, and he accepted it, you know, and so we, we broke it off. Yeah, no, I mean, I was a young man and, and we'd spent four years at Duntroon in a, in a career that we decided to take. And, and so my focus, one, obviously, immaturity and focus on, on, on the career, although you wanted to have your cake and eat it as well. After the conclusion of their three-year long-distance relationship, Con was posted to Sydney. His superiors had wanted him in Townsville, but Con had fought back. So it was that he ended up living three kilometres from Gabby's family home, but by that stage, they weren't together anymore. When we broke up, it was really, really painful, but I came to terms with the fact that perhaps it was for the best, and we were both young. We were like 20, 21. And I think we both thought, look, there's lots of fish in the sea. And then after that, we both had other relationships. Before we get on to the other yep. relationships, though, so I guess in terms of what triggered the breakup, it was like a multitude of things. Hmm. Um, you mentioned, Con, that you took the relationship for granted, but then there was also the family pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, so that's typical of our generation and, and the fact that we're first-generation migrants. And we're the... Well, Gabby's actually a migrant migrant. I was born here. But the expectations of our, both our parents, although my parents-in-law never voiced it, you know, they're, you know, South Americans are a different breed to, to Greeks. Um, my parents voiced their, their, not their dissatisfaction, they had this icon of what I would do or who I would marry. Unfortunately, when that's not fulfilled, uh, the way that my, my mother in particular uh, uh, deals with that is that she goes on the on the offense rather than accepting that that life is different here and the rest and we are talking about the early 80s so australia in itself was a completely different place mm. so what was the icon or the image that she had for your life oh well i mean I'm, I'm i'm sure that she wanted to marry wanted me to marry within uh, the greek uh, community here in canberra uh, although you know i i had left home at 17 and my career was taking me away from Canberra. So it's all those things that migrant parents look at uh, justifying, I think, their, um, 
their decision to migrate. Uh, See, this is something that I have difficulty relating to because mm. even though um, I come from a migrant family um, and I was actually, I'm, I'm, I guess, of first generation, I think, because I was born overseas. Mm. Um, well, you're a migrant. I'm, I'm first generation born okay. here. Mm. <laughs> there we go. Um, I mean, I didn't come from a family that expected me to marry another, you know, yeah. another Chinese person. And so, could you help me to understand well, I mean, why, you know... There are a number of cultures in the... In, well, you, you're, you're pretty lucky. Yeah, whereabouts are you? Chinese from where? Um, so, I was born in Hong Kong. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, there are a number of cultures whose preoccupation is uh, their identity. And the Jewish culture is one. Uh, the Greek culture is very much the same. I would say the, of our generation, as in the Italian culture, would be would be one. So all new migrants, even though they, they come to Australia for good reason, it's the best country in the world, and they understand and accept Australia, um, I think that the perception is that if you marry within your own culture, that you will have a successful marriage. And, and that, and that's their their predominance. There, there's a lot of sense to that because I found, you know, from from my experience in you know in, in being in a relationship with someone who's not from my own culture, you realise that you have to try harder in terms of communication, and that there are a lot of things that are not a given when you're married to someone of your own background. There's a lot of unspoken um, commonality there you know and that goes beyond the verbal and it goes beyond the wanting to listen to the same music it goes to um you know you're used to eating the same foods and you you brought up in having said that obviously people who study multiculturalism will tell you that our basic needs and wants no matter what your background is are all the same and that quite often differences arise from differences in class not so much differences in culture. But when I started going out with Con and I was warned, you know, I was actually warned by my aunties who work with Greeks and, oh, look, they'll never accept you and they'll make life hell and it'll be really, really hard. And I thought, well, no, once they get to know me, they'll realise that I've got um, his welfare at heart, that I've got the best intentions, that and they'll realise that I'm a good person and that I will be a good companion and a good mother mm. and a good... And, and, and I always... Which is how I saw you. Yeah. But, and then, but over the years, I have realised that people's xenophobia and their own prejudices sometimes um, exceed common sense. They defy common sense, yes. you know. And they actually blind people um, to you know, to those commonalities that, that we have. But I, I think our sense of um, wonder were, was part of this fact that we were from different cultures, but we were very, very similar in, in, in many ways. Do, do you know what I mean? That mm. you and I, you know, spend hours talking and, and revelling in the fact that we were... We were uh, and we're both very tolerant of the other's... Um, well, we enjoy it. 
I mean, I have I have met people who um, are of different backgrounds and they're in a relationship, and they don't compromise very well, or they don't tolerate the others. You know, for example, you know, quite often Con will come to my parents' house and it'll be full of Spanish-speaking people and they'll forget that Con's there and they will only speak Spanish and they will totally ignore him. But he doesn't take offence. He knows what that's like. He yeah, because we do the same in our and, <laughs> you know, And the same with me. Mm. And we're both very tolerant. We understand yeah. that people turn, tend yeah. to veer towards the easiest way of communicating their own language or that sort of thing. And we're both quite, you know... But in the, in the core, the core um, elements of both our cultures are the same. The, the only stark difference in reality is that you are of the new world and I am of the old. And so the rub points are on the, the difference between the old, you know, the old world, the, as in Europe, as opposed to South America and Australia. Look, I would argue that Hong Kong and China is a similar thing. So you guys rubbing up against the British are different to being a mainland Chinese person. My family, although interestingly enough, are very staunch Greek, they weren't that El Tipico of being completely immersed in the community. So when I grew up, uh, I wasn't immersed in the community. So therefore, when I met Gabby, I was elated because I never had any Greek girlfriends. I always had Anglo girlfriends and so that I met someone that culturally got me, although I didn't speak the same language. Because I had then, at, at, once I left my ha- home, I completely immersed myself in. Well, I was, I did not, but I was immersed in the Anglo-Saxon culture. I was colourblind, for want of a better word, with regards to to, to Gabby's, the, the finity of difference of language and maybe they did one or two things. But in the core elements, our cultures are, are the same. And that's what I fell in love with. And here I've got someone that understands me culturally as well as the, the, the physical attraction and all that sort of stuff, where I wasn't used to that beforehand. And But the interesting thing is that with Con's parents being from uh, migrants of the, from the 50s, yeah. they migrated to Australia in the 50s, yeah. and my parents, you know, we migrated here in the late 70s. You also migrated from a migrant country. Yeah, but I think Con's parents were economic migrants who came here for a, a better life that had to do with well-being and an affluence. We fled a really turbulent political time in Latin America. And so even though we were also economic migrants, but we were politically motivated. And so there was a sense for us that we would always go back. So the motivation between our, you know, our families came from different viewpoints. And that had an impact as well. I think it did. Because oh, I a, think that's your, your, your No, well, your no, view. because as a, because Con's parents migrated in the 50s and they're very old-fashioned in, mm. in, in their outlook. They're terribly religious and they're quite prejudiced in many ways. 
whereas my family come from a younger world mm. and their value system is different mm. and they're not religious. Mm. So as a result, I'm a different person to the ideal wife, you know, to, to the wife that my mother-in-law would have picked. Mm. Con, do you feel very culturally Greek? Oh, yeah. Did yeah. you? Mm, very much. Okay, so um, in what ways? Well, not in all ways, uh-huh. but but I was brought up to be my myself. So I don't, <clears throat> I didn't need to have a Greek wife to feel Greek because I'm so arrogant. I I, I can do that all by myself <laughs> and self-absorbed. So <laughs> look, the Greeks come from a culture uh, that were under the Ottomans for four hundred years. Con went on about how the enslavement of the Greeks for 400 years was part of the national psyche of Greece and a national obsession for his parents' generation. And we were under the Ottomans for 400 years. So it's become, it's, it's, it's on the parallel of the Jewish state. So it does become this preoccupation and obsession. And, it, and it's quite unjust to accept that of your children in a multicultural Australia and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But the bottom line is it, it, it is what it is. And uh, there are many, you know, uh, Catholics didn't marry Protestants in Australia of the same culture and of the same background uh, right up until the 70s. So my background is similar to that. South Americans are Australians that speak Spanish because they are of the new world. You know, uh, Gabby's culture is more Italian and German than it is Spanish from Spain. So you you, you do have here um, not only a clash of not a, not between us, but our our extended peripheries, for want of a better word. He talked about how his parents came from a third world country with a first world culture that had seen a depression, a world war, a civil war and a junta. Which is not paralleled by the South American world. And that has moulded certainly my parents' generation, my mother in particular. They, so that, 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 creates, that creates a different you know, circumspect on, uh, 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 and a philosophy on life and, and this and that. Suffice to say, the environment around us whilst we were courting the first time was... Uh, less than supportive in, 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 all, in all faces. And then immaturity, particularly, I would argue, in my, on my part, because... Um, it, yeah, <laughs> no, because I get, my, I get my grammar lessons every... But on my part, I was a young man. We had spent four years at the military college. I, did I take our relationship for granted? No. I felt too comfortable in it, and therefore um, my focus was on me and my career. And I, and looking at it now as an adult, you've just met my oldest son, who's 22 years old, who who will be 22 years old this year. So he's at the age now that I was at graduation, and he's involved in a relationship. And I, to be honest with you. Um, I would be advising him that he is at the stage of life that even though he may love the girl that he's with, uh, that he should be considering 
you know, that that is a balance. That at the same time, he's at a crossroads of his life where he's got to establish himself in what he wants to do and this, that and whatever. Now, on occasions, some people can do both and others can't. And I suppose I failed Gabby in, in, in not being able to do both. So was Gabby right in saying that had you moved to Townsville, you wouldn't have asked her to join you? Probably. Okay. But not because I didn't want her to be... She was... You, you he were, was also under a lot of pressure from home. Yeah. No, he, no, I think you're overstating. No, I think... I, I, I was regarded as his friend. My, my parents-in-law at that stage didn't see me as a girlfriend or fiancé or anything of, of that sort. And on his graduation day, there was a tradition that yeah. the mother and the girlfriend put the pips of, you know, second lieutenant on their shoulders. This is during a very... Not a second lieutenant, I graduated as a lieutenant. Yeah. I don't, don't, two you pips are two pips, yeah. No, but didn't, didn't everyone graduate as second lieutenant and then no. you become a first lieutenant? No, no. As right? a lieutenant. Whatever. Um, at the time, <laughs> this ceremony was held at what was then the Lakeside Hotel here in Canberra. And um, which is now their QT, QT. yep, yeah, and it was a big deal. It was la di da, and we all very dressed up, and it was and it was a, a, a an, an event that you know we'd been looking forward to for some time, because you know this is the culmination of of these years in Duntroon, and you know there'd be all these letters going toing and froing saying, oh, you know this is. I can't wait for you to put your, you know, the pips on my shoulder and blah blah. And there was, it was the the, the practice commonly that the the mother and the girlfriend would do that. Now, when the time came for for Con to to be pipped, um, the mother didn't want me to do it, and so and he allowed that to happen. And so before I knew it, she was up on on the stage putting the pips on him, and I wasn't. And there was a public acknowledgement that I was not, the, or that I didn't have the importance that I, in his life, or that I thought I had. And that was a huge blow. I mean, obviously, because I remember it to this day. But, um, and, but to me, it was symptomatic of a lot of things. Do you remember that, your graduation? And no, 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 I remember it vividly. Yeah, yeah. And so you just gave in to your mother? Yes, no, okay. no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and did you realise how much that hurt Gabby? Well, if I did, I, I, I don't think I would have done it on, 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 on purpose. But um, look, it, it was, you know, we... No, it was, know. you know, taking the path of least resistance. You know, when you have a very strong mm-hmm. parent mm-hmm. who, you know, is dominating, mm-hmm. um, you allow it to happen. And that continued for a long time, even after our marriage. But for me, that was sort of the culmination of a whole lot of things that showed me that, first of all, he wasn't prepared to stand up to his parents for me. And secondly, that I was obviously not as important as I wanted to be in his life. And at that point, I was quite tired of uh, waiting and, um, you know. And at the same time... You know, I honestly thought that we weren't going anywhere, really. And again, you know, I didn't have a, an expectation of marriage per se. 
but it was very much about um, you know being a significant part of his life. While Con continued with his career in the Australian Army, the breakup triggered a change in direction for Gabby. For the past couple of years, she had been working in accounting, which she had studied at uni. After the breakup, I actually then took a completely different direction. I followed my heart and I got into the performing arts. And which I, in hindsight is a good thing because No, it was absolutely with good. me we would have we would have gotten very serious and then we're a family and we need to work and we need to X, Y and Z. Con would not have supported my work in the arts. And why not? Because it's well, not no, in I his... think, No, I don't I disagree. No, you would not have. No, you would not have. Um, <laughs> why, why, do, why do you think that Con wouldn't have supported Because it? Con's very uh, financially oriented. He's quite pragmatic when it comes to career choices and when it comes to work as a function of earning a living. And the heart doesn't come into it to a great degree. And, you know, there's a side of me that totally agrees with that and, and you know, and goes with that. And, in fact... That first accounting job, mm. uh, you know, I got through him and his friends. I uh, worked for a Greek firm for, you know, a couple of years. But then after we broke up, I got work as an actor for a theatre company. And then I went on to be a full-time professional actor for about eight years. Wow. I worked in theatre and education. And as an actor and a musician. Well, yeah, and it was it was also it was also and it was symptomatic a of your first marriage as well. And it was a a, a time of um, touring and yeah, travelling around Australia. Having fun as a young person. Yeah. And um, and it was terrific. And and then I, I had this whole world that it was arts related, and Con went on to, you know, to be posted all over Australia as an as an army officer. And, um, so the beauty about that was that we both pursued our passions in life, which was great. Uh, and I think, in hindsight, incredibly necessary. In particular for the two characters that we are. Because once we got back together, and I made the choice to be with him and follow him, that choice entailed putting my career or, or any job aspirations I had, putting them as a secondary to his. By virtue of the moving. Because mm. the, the the army involves moving every two or three years. Yeah. If we'd stayed so there's in, no continuity. That's right. right. If we'd stayed in the one place, then by that stage you were into theatre administration anyway. So if we'd stayed in the one place, there, there was no question of you pursuing what you were doing no, in the theatre. Because you weren't. But what that meant is that, you know, in my 30s when we got together again, I I had done a whole lot of things and I was ready to, you know, compromise that to, to be with him. One of the things she did during their separation was get married. Three years after they broke up, she wedded a man she'd played in a band with and had known while she was with Con. When they got together, she thought he was an ideal match, given he was also Uruguayan. We had a cultural synchronicity 
they, you know that there were there was all this and professional in the and and way. obviously and and we had um, all the, the the common aspects of, of working in the arts and he worked on radio on SBS he was a producer of the well head of the Spanish programs and um, there was no in laws who made life difficult he fitted into my life really well and you loved him as well. Um, in hindsight, I think I did, but mm. differently. Mm-hmm. See, I knew him for a long time without being attracted to him. So I don't know. I, I think I learned to love him, but in the end, he ended up being more like a brother in a sense. And the relationship really was kind of doomed from the start. And when we broke up, I actually I had some counselling. And uh, one of the things that came up was the fact that I hadn't really gotten over Con. Few people do. (laughs) (laughs) In more ways than one. Anyway, but at that point, after we broke up, Con was in, um, in Cambodia at the time. He was posted there. So when we broke up in 84... I was in Cambodia in 92. I get wounded in December of 92. And you write very early in the piece in 93. Some friends of, of mine, Christmas uh, a guy I went to school with who was also in the military, he was being posted to the Middle East. And, um, and so I went to dinner with him. And in the course of the conversation, he said, oh, you know that Con is in Cambodia and, you know, and all this happened and blah, blah, blah. And of course I didn't know because he was the only person I knew who knew Con. So what was all this that happened? Well, that he... that well, Con, I was wounded in Cambodia. Yeah, that Con, he was wounded in Cambodia. And, mm. um, okay. And so when I found out, I was actually quite concerned. You'd had the counselling by this stage, hadn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I was quite concerned, so I wrote to him. Yeah. But my letter was not. It was. It was just a. Um, I hope you're well. No, nah, that's crap. Because <laughs> I read it, and with friends, uh, I said, "Read between the lines," and and you know, they said, "No, she's saying that she misses you and she loves you." And I said, "I think I have the same opinion." <laughs> so uh, I sat on it for a while because that was uh, that was quite interesting. I. So I, in fact, had, had left for Cambodia, engaged, and then had broken up well before I got this letter. I would turn 30, and I thought, oh, shit, I better, I better um, start, start taking life seriously. So <laughs> I, you know, came across this young Greek girl and, uh, you know, decided that, okay, this must be it, you know, all that stuff that I suppose Gabby had gone through and... and you know, you're better off with a, a Greek girl and all that sort of stuff. And then, but halfway through, you, you know, I, I realised that, and I was again, you know, I had my things to do. I was on operations, um, doing big things in in, in the world. And um, and then I did receive this letter, which, as I said, when I read, I read through the because only I know her. Like like I well, I'd like to think so, and. Um, you know, it was simple. This is the only person I've loved in my life. So I rang her on what's called an Inmarsat that cost the government 
probably more than I've paid it. No, but, but it was quite expensive. We're talking about 1993 now, early 93. But it was worth it. Oh, well, here we are, yeah. 20, uh, yeah. what is it, 23, 20, you know, <laughs> years later. So, And, and we when spent, he rang me, yeah. I was back living with my parents and my brother was still living at home. And when he rang me, the whole, and he rang like at two in the morning or something ungodly like that and woke up the whole family. And my whole family were on tenterhooks waiting to hear what was happening. Mm. Because Con, of course, my, you know, my family knew the whole story with Con and, you know. And um, they were all very interested, but didn't say a word. No. It was, it was interesting. So, so, so your family were less resistant to the idea of you marrying a non-Uruguayan? That's right. Okay. Uh, no. Yes, they were. No, they just weren't vocal about it. No, but they never resisted. No, but my, my family never put up. No, 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 no. Absolutely, they but, were less but, resistant. Yes, but they weren't happy about it. They no, were. they 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 were happy enough. They they weren't, you know. My parents, you know, never ever in any shape or form put up any opposition to anything. No, correct. They kept their counsel to themselves. What that counsel was, two different things. If, if you had gotten back together with Reuben, they would have been ecstatic. But how do you know that they would have preferred for her to marry within the community? Well, because I know them, because I, I am of the same... Co- I understand them. I, I get I get it all. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Then why doesn't Gabby think that? Well, because they, they've never voiced anything of that sort, on the contrary. And they love Con... No, and they uh, think the uh, absolutely, but 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 for the same misgivings, and and certainly at the start, um, that's certainly a, a sense that that I got. But I don't see a problem with that because I I see that as the as the natural sense. I mean, the, the point is that our relationship is between two individuals without the baggage. And the baggage comes in, but in the end, um, it's the fact that I don't see, I don't want to see, nor do I contemplate a future without this person. The fact that she, that we are yin-yang, that I am military, she's artistic, I'm not a conservative politically or, 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 or socially by any stretch of the no, imagination. No, otherwise we couldn't live together. Well, but, but, that, yeah. but that's exactly right. This is not a competition. This is very much a yin-yang. And I think that our great strength is exactly that. Our great strength that is even though expectations, self-expectations or whatever fall by the wayside, we are strong and I think our closest friends that have known us for a long, long time, because on, on essence, you know, you can listen to our relationship about went together, young, silly boy, obviously a little bit more mature girl, nine-year break, uh, the romance of, you know, a soldier, you know, all that silliness of, you know, wounded, love, un... un uh, uh, still not reconciled after nine years and here they are and hopefully we'll be together for a for, for hundred years to come. 
you know, that's a reasonably romantic concept, but us that are living at it, and I, and I say this to my sons, and I say this because um, I've just recently made the decision to leave the army, right, which has been my life for, since I was a child. Nearly for 40 years. I made up my mind to become a soldier when I was 12 years old. But I, someone asked me on the day that I put my papers in, uh, how do you feel? And I said, well, I feel like I do on my wedding day. So when I looked down the hall and I saw her at the, at the doors, I like Harry and Meghan. I was in uniform and, and, you know, she looked like a princess. I had no misgivings. And both our families were there and, you know, the South Americans were saying, oh, how lovely, but... And mine were going, well, I wish... Immaterial, you know. And we will weather those storms and... and um, it's lovey-dovey in the true sense in that we are a team. We are yin-yang. It's not goo-goo-ga-ga. But at the, the same outside. time, you know, what I found, find really interesting is that when we met up again, we were in our 30s. Right. And we were different people. Well, and that was a nightmare too. And so even though our basic feelings were perhaps the same and, you know, um, but negotiating difference yeah. was a thing then because... We had grown separately for nine years, and in, in, during a time that I, when I would argue are your most formative years, mm. and so your form beings as separate. So when when you get married younger, you mature together individually, but as a couple as well. We mm. we came as two independent people. Learning how to come. So in some ways, and that was bloody on yeah. for young and old as well. Yeah. So <laughs> in, in, in some ways, we were, um, you know, we were the sweethearts, or we wanted to be the sweethearts that we once were. But on on, on other levels, it was like meeting a, a stranger. You know, it wasn't easy because you're having two adults, two incredibly independent, self-assured, capable human beings then coexisting. I said, look, if this is going to happen, we're going to have a, a marriage that is based on us, on us subordinating ourselves to the centre, to the house. But our problems right. weren't over. No, no. By then, <clears throat> the opposition from Con's parents yeah, was yeah. still as strong, if not mm. stronger. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, maybe let's just backtrack to that expensive 2am phone call. Yeah, yes. So what was it that you said during that call? Well, we, we spoke and, and we spoke around and in the end the conclusion was that we both loved each other. Gosh. But we didn't know, we did, did not, we did not Well, I don't know, you remember these things. I don't, I don't remember during these During that phone call, we were... Ask um, the woman, she knows, the, the elef, you know, elephants, you never forget. I, I don't know. I suffer from... Um, we were far from declaring our love in that, during that phone Ah, that's call. bullshit. We may not have said it, but that, that, that's exactly that. There was nothing said. When did I say, come to t Thailand? At well, the phone call? No, it was... Then there was another letter. There were several letters and yeah. a couple more phone calls. And then I was going to a theatre congress <laughs> in Cuba. And I mentioned this. And he said, well, why don't you, on your way to Cuba... Um, stop by Thailand. I can take time off. He was in Cambodia still. Yeah, that's right. I can take a couple of weeks leave and we can meet up in Thailand. 
And it wasn't on my way no, at all. No, no. I actually had to pay thousands of dollars more or something for this ticket. Rightly so. <laughs> so after not having seen each other for nine years, we met up at Bangkok Airport. Well, which is an ordeal in itself because you were detained, weren't you? I had a Cuban visa on my passport and um, it was actually stamped on a separate page that I foolishly left inside my passport. And apparently in Thailand, I should not have had that. Oh, it's a communist leaf. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The wall and so I was um, led to a room and interrogated, you know, because I was on my way to Cuba. Yeah. So, and um, yeah, so that was a bit. Yeah. So I hadn't seen this woman for. We'd seen each other once in the nine years. Wait. Um, At her what, parents' what you, house. What led you to see each other in in between? Well. Uh, I she had, was visiting my parents one night, and I arrived. And he, and yeah, yeah, and she arrived with, uh, with, uh, with the, with my ex, the, her ex. Why and, were you uh, visiting her parents? Well, because I always got along with them. I always oh, okay. was, I respected them. I served in Holsworthy at the barracks in Holsworthy, and they lived only three kilometres away physically. Mm. They have always been uh, wonderful with me and respectful, no matter what they thought. They didn't think I, I never. I may have had sense, but they always treated me with respect, and and I think that I, I, I would like to think that that respect was born by by the way that I presented myself. So, but look, I was in a relationship. I must have been. Uh, yeah, you were, was always in some relationship. Yeah, of course. So, so uh, mine was official, but his wasn't. Yeah, correct. His weren't. Absolutely, and um, and so uh, she appears an hour and a half after being interrogated and I thought she I was about to leave this is at Bangkok because of course we didn't know that she was being interrogated by and she's at the end of the escalators in Bangkok in the old Bangkok airport and she she tilts her head like she did all those years ago show me how you tilt your head (laughs) I don't know yeah she she looked at me and she tilted her head and that was it but what but I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was For me, it was... <laughs> no, no, what I'm saying is we weren't goo-goo-gaga on the phone in the lead-up to it. We were both, let's see what happens, you know. We were both grown yeah, adults. Yeah, we were adults, of yeah, course. Yeah, we are adults, and we... Until you open your suitcase with all the condoms in it. Oh, see? please. <laughs> now, what happened was, I've got to tell you the story. I'm a bit quiet. I've got to tell you the story, right? <laughs> Gabby tells a story of her colleague who had a housemate who worked for a needle exchange program. The housemate learned Gabby was going to Thailand and asked her to take with her a bunch of condoms because the sex workers there have poor access to them. Gabby obliged and... When we get to Bangkok and I open my suitcase, um, Con said, you've got hopes. (laughs) So we then flew to Koh Samui and we spent two beautiful weeks in Koh Samui. But after the two weeks, you know, where we were very lovey-dovey and we were, you know, it was wonderful. I remember us flying back to Bangkok and we were spending, you know, two nights in Bangkok and then we were both going our separate ways. And when we were in Bangkok, Con fundamentally changed and, 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 and reality came sort of crashing down on, on us and there was a sense of, okay, where to from here? And for him there was a distinct, and I could see it, 
there was the the really rocky road ahead of again having to. I was about to go back to war, though. Right? Yeah, no, but yeah, there no, was... well, but you know, I had yeah, I might have been thinking about a million other things as well. Uh, so I'm back on operations and the rest, but I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. But whereas prior to that, he had told me the date he was getting back to Sydney and what he was doing. Um, when we got to Bangkok, he was very vague about it all again. And of course, you know, his parents and the whole the whole scenario of what's going to happen next were really scary for him, you know. Probably. Yeah. Well. Anyway, and so I went to Cuba and we left our relationship kind of up in the air. You know, there, there were no certainties and there was, you know, maybe when we both get back to Australia, we can see what happens sort of thing. And that's what we did when I got back earlier than him. And then when he got back, he, after, I knew exactly what date he was getting back. And I just waited for him to ring me. And when, and he finally did when his parents had gone to church one Sunday. And, and again, it was all, it was a while before we actually took up the relationship seriously, you know, because the, the practicalities of it were a bit daunting. Well, I was posted up to... Williamstown. Williamstown. Where's Williamstown? Oh, in Near Newcastle. Newcastle. Okay. I was coming down after uh, 18 months of quite serious uh, responsibilities in this, that and whatever. So I, wasn't, I was dealing with a lot of things at, at, at the same time. So, yeah, I mean, what Gabby's saying is right, the fact that... It, but it's from her perspective that you know, I'd just come back from operations and I think I think people are now more conscious about what we go through when we go on operations and then we come back you just can't come back and bang it's uh, it's uh, you know this that and whatever so in in hindsight now but uh, it took him a long time to tell his family you know that he was seeing me yeah, yeah no, and in no. fact we lived together for a whole year no with, they knew did no, no. Right. we lived together for a whole year before he told his parents that we were living together. Hmm. So how old were you by oh, that stage? 32? 30, 32, 31, 32. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so by the time you started living together, were you seeing your relationship as being a much, much longer term Oh, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have lived together. Okay. No, no, that, that that's that goes without. Yeah. So we, I went into Williamstown. We started seeing each other. I I needed to, to have a break from the world, so I went to Europe. This was sort of this was wonderful and yet confronting. There's no question of this. And and I was dealing with a lot of demons and the rest. So I went to Europe. We came back. I organised. Again, a posting from from uh, Williamstown because I was there for two years and I only spent six months there to come to Sydney to be with this person here. So I then was posted to Victoria Barracks, and we and we started living together. I I I said I, you know I announced that we were living together with my parents. They weren't again. They they weren't happy and all that sort of stuff. Immaterial. I mean, but the fact is that you try to you try to look after everyone's feelings and the rest. And then one day on Bondi Beach, 
my my beautiful wife was there, topless as they, we used to do in those days with the uh, and the rest. Uh, we were deciding. Uh, yeah, yeah. We we uh, we did, we were planning a, a European holiday. It was a twenty thousand dollar holiday. I remember. I remember no, it couldn't have been. The whole wedding was twenty. The whole thing twenty. Sit down. When we're talking about money, you sit down and be South American, and I'll be Greek. Um, so we were we were planning a uh, we were planning a, a European holiday, and she said, "Oh well, we should make it a honeymoon." And I said, "Well, then does that mean you want to get married?" She said, "Yes," and that was it. So there was no one knee. And uh, romantic. Our story is romantic in its totality, uh, and and the waves that we've rode up and down, uh, and the rest. We got married on the 9th of September, nineteen ninety-five. We've been living together for two years at that stage, and we had a wonderful wedding, which. With the majesty, dare I say, of the Orthodox Church, although you know you don't have choirs and, and the rest, and, and and being in uniform and whatever, and and my wife had made it, had done an amazing job of her her wedding dress and, and the rest. We paid for our wedding and our uh, and our honeymoon, and uh, and we were independent. Going back of to the cultural stuff. Oh, is that what we're doing? Yeah. Okay. Gabby continued from the kitchen, where she was preparing the carrot cake I'd brought for dessert. At that point, it was really clear to me that there was no compromising, that it had to be the Greek Orthodox Church, that our, our kids had to be Greek Orthodox, and that if I was in any shape or form to preserve the harmony in the family, in Con's family, that it all had to be done their way and that has been the situation ever since looking for something to cut the cake what con was saying before about you know certain cultures having this expectation that you marry into the culture and therefore you know i I actually think that my parents-in-law particularly my mother-in-law feels that ours should be a greek family because con is greek and there's not even a nod to my culture, ever. Um, and that's always created conflict. I've always tolerated it up until now. Mm. I mean, I guess, you know, probably neither of you could answer this, but I just wonder how someone can think that way where they think, okay, it's all right for someone to subsume their own yeah. culture to somebody else's, you know, but not okay for it to be the other way around, you know? Like, I, I just don't understand why um, or how someone can... I don't understand that, it either. You know? And that's, that's become... Um, I am not speaking to my parents-in-law at the moment and this is, um, you know, we had some conflict yeah. just before Christmas... Um, but it's it's a recurring issue, you know, and we've been married now for 23, 24 years and um, it has been an issue all the time. Mm. Lucas made his reappearance in the kitchen. Ivana, you don't have to be polite. They're convinced that I'm torturing you with that fish. <laughs> I wouldn't have eaten so much if I didn't have it. Thank she's you. A, she's an excellent cook. She is? Like when we go out, she's always cooking for me. 
I like I feel bad paying for like stuff that I could have better at home. <laughs> but then she hasn't made this fish in about ten years, I'd say. Wow, I feel very lucky. <laughs> yeah, Thank you. but they hate it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's eating it. No, no he's eating the potato. Oh, he's eating the potato. Okay. <laughs> Gabby and I talked briefly about the carrot cake, which she had served up with strawberries. Then she brought Lucas, who was still in the kitchen, up to speed about where we were up to in our conversation. Okay, Lucas, so we're up to the part where we got married. Married? Yeah. Did you talk about how you had a boyfriend at the time? <laughs> you had a side piece at the time you met Baba? And you dropped him on the spot? Did she tell you that? Well, it sounded like they had broken up already. Oh. No, no, this is when we first married, first met. We were first met. We encouraged Lucas to join us at the table, to eat his lamb shank, and to share what he knew of his parents' story. It's a family affair. <laughs> so he was in Kayama on the beach, and Baba was down for um, your, your holidays from the military. And mum was out on the beach with, um, no, with a, like a couple of her girlfriends. I oh, know we've spoken about that. You did? Oh yeah. Yes, no. All right. No, 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 that. All right. Well, do, you. do you know about um, mum's side piece that was quickly dealt with <laughs> as soon no, as I was a side piece, of course. No, you weren't a side piece. Well, it can't be because there was, there was another white boy that was a side piece. The, yes, I was going out with a white boy from school. What's his name? <laughs> it wasn't good. Drop them he on the was spot. Lovely, but when I met your father, I was no longer interested. <laughs> so you just. So, and he came to visit. He came to visit. At the, at, at, in Kayama, he came to visit. And I had to say to him, Look, sorry, but um, I'm not interested anymore. Not good enough. See you later, Mike. <laughs> and he was left there on the beach, like, What's going on? Spoken like a true son. Well done, my boy. There you go. That's funny. We got back on track to discussing their Greek Orthodox wedding and then what came after it. For their honeymoon, they went to Fiji, Italy, the UK, Greece, Thailand. A fabulous trip, in Gabby's words. Then it was back home, but not for long. Shortly after their return, they moved from Sydney to Victoria, where Con had just been posted. There, Gabby contended with some new realities of being married to Con. It was my first posting as an army wife, and that comes with a whole lot of rules and, and a whole lot of parameters of oh, behaviour, I suppose, to say a better word. You know, army officers have um, certain social obligations that um, their partners have to be aware of and, and have to partake in and it comes with um well which is no problems for you isn't it? no i you know i enjoy it but it was a very a, a, a massive change in lifestyle for me what kind of social obligations did you have so this first posting was at staff college you are picked to go to this college to do a a master's so it's a it's the equivalent of a master's within our profession and with that, my generation still of the old school, so uh, there was a lot of entertaining and dinner parties and that. So part of the responsibility of being a senior officer in the army 
is to have social networks and be the boss and whatnot. So, and very British in that respect. So it was a very social year. Uh, it was a, a year that was made up of black tie functions and balls and and, parades. And, and, and dinner parties and, and this, that and whatever. So this was, uh, although Gabby reveled in it and, and excelled and, and still does, as you can see, mm-hmm. um, it was different to the uh, black cladded, you know, arts world, which revels in in not that sort of conformity in non-pretentiousness yeah and regimental well but for us it's not pretentiousness for us it's our world as a 22 year old you have 30 men under your command there's there's no question but there's also a degree of formality protocols things that you know restrictions that um when you come from an arts world you're not used to you know well they're two different observance of rank you yeah. know, I come from a world where rank is frowned upon, you know. Yeah. And, for example, I remember out really distinctly when we first started living together, we had an army function. I think it was at Victoria Barracks. And the, the invitation said 7 for 7.30. And I was getting ready, expecting us to, you know, you rock up maybe quarter to eight. I don't know, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And Con said, no, we have to be there at 20 past seven. And I thought that was very odd because he was very specific. It had to be 20 past seven. And then I was told that, of course, lieutenants arrive at seven and then captains arrive at 10 past seven and then, you know, majors arrive at quarter past seven and lieutenant colonels arrive. And so it's all very prescribed. And this is something that took some getting used to, mm. you know. Yeah, from a t- completely different world. Right? And, you know, these are um, formal functions where... You know, you toast the Queen, and I'm a Republican, you know. Um, well, but new, but you know, it's not. No, but I mean, you know, it's interesting, that stuff. So, you got married, you became an army wife, mm. and you got posted to a different place. Yep. And you had to give up your job. Well, the first posting, okay. I actually worked um, um, from home. Okay. Yeah, yes. the, even though the, the internet was fairly new, I suppose, or, you know, it was um, Con's idea that I approach work with... Um, I was working for the International Theatre Institute at the time, and it was very much a desk job, you know, I was... Um, and so I could do it remotely. And I managed to do that that first year. And then after a year in Victoria, we got posted well, you to were, the Hunter you, Valley. You were pregnant and you had a child. Yep. And we got posted to Singleton. Which is a minor thing. <laughs> anyway, and, um, and that was fairly difficult because we had a, a new baby and he was only three months old. The reality of being away from family and friends hit me there because I had no support and there was no extended family to help out with the baby and there were certainly, um, you know, there were new friends that you make through the military but they're not people you have a history with. So I found those two years particularly difficult with a young baby. 
And at that point, I also realised that my job was not transportable. That as an arts manager, I, you know, unless there were professional arts organisations where I lived, there was there were no prospects of work. You, you hadn't thought that that would be the case when you got married. That you would have to sort of that your career would have to take second fiddle to um, I I had thought it. Okay. But it's quite different when you're confronted with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably had, you know, thought very positively about all the different options that I had. And at that point, I decided I would do an events management course because it was in the same line of work, but um, it was something that would help me get work even with a local council if I lived in a really small country town like Singleton was. And so I did that while we were in Singleton. And then we moved from Singleton to Sydney, back to Sydney, and I got a job at the Sydney Opera House, which was fantastic and I was extremely happy about. Um, it meant sacrificing a lot of the family life. I had to put my son in childcare, you know, it was problematic on that level. And then Con got promoted and got sent to Canberra. And that put a spanner in the works because Of course, I didn't want to leave this fantastic job I had. So we tried being married separated. It's a phrase that's commonly used in the military where you're still married and you're happily married, but you live in different places. And uh, we tried that. He was living in an officer's mess here in Canberra while I stayed at home with Alex and is stayed in Sydney. Um, but after four or five months, it became really obvious that it wasn't the best choice because Alex was still a toddler and it was, the quality of life was not great, you know, for us as a couple with con commuting. A lot of the military families do it because always, there's always an end in sight because postings are normally just two to three years. So you know that this is how long it will last. It's not forever. And the, and the demography of families now in the military have changed where once upon a time, uh, females, uh, or the spouse, which predominantly were, were females, um, were either teachers or nurses or something with a transportable career. As women became more professional, the aspect of this marriage separated thing uh, where the necessity of life is that both spouses have to work and, uh, and, and therefore some serious decisions have to be made. Mm. So then we both, we all came back down to Canberra and then uh, we decided, right, well, we, we, then Lucas came along. Well, I thought, well, since I'm going to lose my really good job, I may as well get pregnant again. The last nail in the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. But at the time, while I was pregnant, I got a job at the street theatre. And so I actually worked there, um, you know, I think it was three days a week or something. Yeah. Lucas was born. My parents looked after Lucas mm-hmm. while, while we were, while Gabby was working. And then we, um, Con got a posting to Malaysia. That was the 
amazing side of being in the military, having this opportunity to live overseas. And life in Malaysia was very privileged. You know, we lived a, an incredible life as expats. They had domestic help and the kids went to the best school in KL. And so life was very good. And we were there for five years because Con succeeded in getting two postings, like one back to back, which is quite unusual. How was it living? Well, I mean, I guess you would have lived in a number of places around Australia where you were away from family and kind of Mm. away from that influence and, you know, or just the pressures associated Mm. with it. But I guess in Malaysia, you would have been that much further from them. We enjoyed... Oh, they all, all visited and yeah. they all enjoyed coming over. We enjoyed and... also the cultural aspects of living in Malaysia because we, we loved the Asian emphasis on people and we find the Anglo-Saxon world sometimes alienating in, in, in that it is such an individualistic world. And when you're in Asia, you're immersed in humanity. Yeah, you know, we, yeah just... we, we felt incredibly comfortable. Yeah, yeah, we loved it. And did it remind you perhaps more of our own the cultures, cultures yeah. Yeah, that yeah. you came from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. So much so the plan is ultimately to retire in Malaysia. Really? Still wow. Here. Gosh. Yeah, we really enjoy living there. And, and we enjoyed the friendships we made. The enormous cross-section of, of people we met, you know, the, the fact that there are just so many cultures. Thank you. So the, We felt at home. Yeah. Mm. And, of course, that the, the cultural experiences, you know, what you learn when you live in a, in a foreign country. And not only what you learn about the country, but what you learn about yourself too, I think, you know. It was quite... What did you learn about yourselves? That we're resilient, that we're flexible, we're quite um, adaptable, when and, you, we're, and we're robust. When, when you live in, in an unknown place, you need to be resourceful. Mm. Um, you know, a very silly example is when we came back, we immediately started shopping at Aldi. Aldi had just opened, and none of our friends could cope with Aldi because and they still. couldn't buy Kellogg's cornflakes there. And we had learned overseas to, you know, not look at brands because the brands, you know, don't exist there. Or, you know, we had learned to, you know, find different ways, different ingredients, different, you know, different methods of doing things. Um, And so, yeah, you you really notice that when you're away from, from your comfort zone. After about five years in Malaysia, the family resettled in Canberra. And we've been here ever since. We flirted with the idea of me getting out of the military and us staying in Southeast Asia. But in the end, we made a decision that we'd probably preferred that the boys were raised in Australia. How come? I think expat children uh, they're too privileged. I mean, I wasn't successful in finding work, but it didn't bother us. Um, There's a dose of reality when you live here, yeah. you know, and, and, and the thing also with the kids being brought up overseas is that 
they were never really going to belong there because they are perceived as expats. And mm. there was always a time when they would have had to leave to study, you know, to do their tertiary education, to work. And, and so you're sometimes doing them a disservice if you're not giving them the, you yeah. know, the education here to then give them a good start to what's inevitable. You know? we, we sort of made a, a mental decision that the best place to raise kids in Australia by, by virtue of the daily routine was Canberra. And Canberra is such where I could be assured of back-to-back postings in order to provide as much stability, although there was no guarantee, uh, as much stability for these guys to start or to enter one school system and to finish a school With system. the military, he would still have to change jobs, but... Um, in Canberra, there are enough jobs for him to change them and stay and remain in Canberra. Mm. So um, we thought that was really important to give them the continuity in education. Yeah. And then, and then from that, we decided that we build, and we have. But yesterday, we closed on a house in Kiama, <laughs> so where all this thing started. And the aim is next year to sell this house, to buy an apartment where the boys would live and I will revert from being a full-time member of the military to a part-time member of the military. So I'll come back to Canberra three days a week and Gabby will um, will live in, in uh, Kaima. Four days a week I'll be in Kaima. So the circle turns but it is very much to do with age we are at that age where we're considering retirement and we're we're looking at a better quality of life you know the end of our working years kind of thing yeah we want to get ahead of the curve with regards to you know and and these guys are quite independent and and can stand on their own two feet and uh in, in in many ways it'll it'll be It'll be a good experience for them to to have a little bit of independence, and yet we're here, so to speak. So it's it's a sort of a halfway house. Con continued to elaborate on their plan of travelling to Malaysia once or twice a year while based in Kayama, and in time, flipping that around so that they're living in Malaysia and travelling back here. But certainly from October to February every year, we'll be in, in Kayama. These guys are both born in October, Christmas, New Year, you know, down the beach. Uh, no better place to anyway, live. that's the plan. Life has a way of surprising you, but that's, that's the, the plan. Mm. That's what we'd like to do. How are you feeling about the upcoming transition? Um, I feel like it's a, it's a transition that we're all going to uh, go through as a family. Like these guys going to retirement is a completely different era of their life. They've never done it before. I think they're just as scared as we are, but um, obviously I'm happy for them that they're they're gonna like have a break with all the stresses of the daily routine of work and looking after us, since uh, both Alex and I are becoming more independent. It will be less of a load on them to act as our um, supervisors, per se. But I've, I'm confident that we can all put through it as a family because it's like such a big start in all of our lives that I would say next year like me going to uni my brother trying to get into his first job and these guys into retirement I think 
obviously if we support each other, which we will. A time of transition. Yeah, that we can all cope. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, sort of um, your father's family not really accepting Gabby and, you know, like do you have any feelings or thoughts on all that? Yeah, obviously, obviously I will have um, feelings and thoughts about that, but at the end of the day, my grandmother's my grandmother, my auntie's my auntie, my uncle's my uncle, but um, my mum will always be my mum, and I will spend 90% or like 100% of my life with her, and um, these people aren't children. My mum and especially my grandmother aren't children, so they can make their own decisions in their lives with an accounts of how they interact with each other and bear the repercussions of their actions, mm. both my mother and my grandmother. Well, so, so you're planning to spend 100% of your time with me? No, 100% of... You in sense. my life. No, no, 100% of your life. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so hopefully it's more than 100% of his life. Unavoidable. Well, I'm hoping to get rid of you soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Love, Canberra. This is the last episode for the year. If you have any suggestions for me for 2019, do get in touch at lovecanberrapodcast at gmail.com. My thanks as always to Proliter for the theme music. Details for the interstitial music are in the show notes. Subscribe to Love Canberra wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll get me in your feed when this show returns. That's it for now. Thanks for listening.